Hey there, Brandon Harvey here. I just wanted to say a quick thank you for being a Sounds Good listener. The work that we do here, Celebrating Good News, is supported by our incredible community and listeners like you. If you appreciate this podcast, our Instagram, or the other hopeful things we create, I would love to invite you to join our community of Good 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 members. Being a Good 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 member costs less than $10 per month and gives you access to a monthly good newspaper, exclusive discounts to ethical and sustainable brands that you love, and connects you with a community of like-minded world changers. Plus, you get to play a role in bringing more good news to the world. Sign up to become a Good 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 member and get your own monthly good newspapers by visiting goodgoodgood.co slash membership. Or just click the direct link in our show notes. And once again, thank you so much for being a part of our community. In 70 countries, it is illegal to be LGBTQ+. In these countries, gay, trans, and queer people face violence and discrimination and don't have basic human rights protections. Being outed could mean that you lose employment or housing. And in 11 countries, LGBTQ people face the death penalty. Here at Good Good Good, we are always looking for people who are creatively solving the world's greatest problems. We call them the helpers. And in the midst of heartbreak and injustice, we have always found them. And in the midst of this onslaught of discrimination and violence against gay, trans, and queer people around the world, we got to interview someone behind an inspiring and life-saving solution. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. Today's guest is Kamali Powell, the executive director of Rainbow Railroad. Rainbow Railroad is a Canada-based organization that helps LGBTQ plus people escape countries where they face imminent danger because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Since 2006, Rainbow Railroad has helped more than 800 persecuted LGBTQ plus people from 38 countries travel to safety. Notably, they've been praised for helping 70 Chechen men resettle in response to the anti-gay purges in Chechnya beginning in 2017. Rainbow Railroad's work is particularly remarkable because not only do they help LGBTQ plus people around the world flee persecution, but they also are responding to a global refugee crisis affecting millions of people. Refugees already face mounting challenges, but anti-LGBTQ plus legislation only adds to the obstacles. The organization addresses both challenges together by helping people flee dangerous places that can become even more dangerous if you're LGBTQ plus. It was so meaningful to get to have this conversation with Kamali, both because we got to dive into this important conversation around the extent of the persecution that LGBTQ plus people face around the world, but especially because of how Rainbow Railroad has uniquely responded by providing transportation and support to bring people to safety. I love this conversation. I love this organization. So let's get straight into it. Kamali, I am 
Just so excited to have you on the show today. I've been a big fan of the work that you're doing at Rainbow Railroad for a long time now. And I'd love to just start off by talking about you. What is your background? How did you get into this role? You know, bring me up to speed on, you know, your world of of making a difference and how it led to this moment. Yeah, thanks for having me. So been running Rainbow Road for five years now. And uh, this role has been really, um, at this stage of my career, culmination of uh, dedication uh, to social justice. Uh, I've spent past 20 years working for movements and organizations that advance social change. In the past 10 years, uh, really emphasized on international development, the plight of uh, folks living with HIV and folks who are uh, uniquely vulnerable to HIV and the structural conditions that cause folks to uh, be more vulnerable to not just HIV, but also just broken health systems. And that includes migration. Uh, So before Rainbow Railroad, I was really fortunate to work at the HIV Legal Network, which is an organization tackling the legal barriers uh, to advancing uh, and uh, solving the HIV pandemic, which really means in the 21st century combating or supporting people who use drugs, sex workers, and global LGBTQI rights. And I think that is ultimately what led to the role at Rainbow Railroad. It's a real opportunity for me to advance the mission of an organization that has a very specific focus, which is ensuring that more LGBTQI folks can live freely uh, without persecution just because of who they are or who they love. Have you seen the news recently about the mRNA vaccines and how it looks like there's some real progress being made towards essentially a vaccine for HIV? Yeah, what's really interesting about the COVID pandemic is that we realize what is possible with that when there's less stigma around the treatment of illnesses and diseases. And it's really exciting. And we know we're, we'll be in a period where we have all the tools to eradicate HIV. I will say, from my experience working with the legal network, we will never get there if we don't cause the structural barriers that cause people to be more susceptible. And that's really the same with uh, where we're at with COVID-19. And when it comes to the work of Rainbow Railroad, you know, not to jump the gun on a question you might ask, but I spent a lot of time at work Rainbow Railroad thinking, worrying about things. That's what we do. Uh, In the age of us trying to move people to safety, including in other countries in the middle of a pandemic, one of the early warning signs is without dealing with systemic barriers to migration, to free movement, uh, we will have a situation where we can have permanent restriction to access to various countries, which will put more people at risk. It's interesting to think about how there are so many layers to the solutions that need to be put into place. And it can't just be this, you know, in in the case of HIV and AIDS, it can't just be this vaccine because we have a systemic problem underlying all of that. So we've got to deal with that. And 
uh, I would imagine that that's really true with all the work that that you do. And I mean, I think if, if there's one thing that our community has heard a lot of this year is uh, talking about systems. You know, there's so many people who create band-aids uh, Band-Aid solutions to problems. And we're grateful to them. I think it's really valuable You know, when somebody says, here's an, an immediate need in front of me. I'm going to help solve this problem. But if you can go upstream a little bit and recognize how people are getting downstream and solve that problem, uh, that's, I think, the opportunity that we all have. Absolutely. Uh, for Rainbow Railroad, it means that we are in the middle of a migration crisis. I pause when I say the word refugee or migration crisis because it it alludes to the fact that the people are the crisis. And it's not. Governments, governments' inability to respond is the crisis. Mm. There are now 80 million displaced people around the world. And that's the largest number since World War II. Wow. I don't want to do any crude math around what percentage of that population is LGBTQI plus because there is not enough data, but you can imagine that there is a significant number of those people who are members of the LGBTQI plus community. On top of that, there are 70 countries that criminalize same-sex intimacy. And so the, the nexus of those two problems is where the people who reach out to us for help lie. There are folks who are members of the LGBTQI community who are forcibly displaced or seeking refuge in a world prior to COVID, there was already inadequate government response. It's also interesting to think about the intersection that uh, Rainbow Railroad is at because I think I first started really looking into your work when we were working on the refugee edition of the Good Newspaper, which is our print newspaper filled with good news and ways to take good action. And and I was thinking about you through the lens of immigration, resettlement, asylum. And now we're in the midst, my team and I are in the midst of working on our pride edition of the good newspaper. And, and then I'm looking at you through the lens of uh, the LGBTQ community, which of course is you know central to the work that you're doing. And I, I do love that you're at this intersection of these multiple layers of problems and coming back to this idea of, of kind of systemic solutions, you're creating systemic solutions to multiple problems on that. And so what, I, what I'm really excited about is diving into the solutions that you're creating. But I think that first, I think it'd be most helpful if we just dive into the real problem that we're facing around the world. And I think for many people, myself included, it, it's hard to imagine uh, the problems that folks in the LGBTQ community outside of the U.S. are facing because, you know, I just have my own perspective here in the U.S. And so can you help me understand the gravity of the problem? Like, first of all, around the world, you know, there are places where members of the LGBTQ community are targeted with state-sponsored violence. How many countries are we talking here? And what does that violence and targeting look like? As I mentioned just a little while ago, you know, 70 countries criminalize same-sex intimacy means that they're in those 70 countries, uh, which fluctuates. It's I think it might actually be 69 now, which was okay. a slight improvement. But in those countries, to have laws that criminalize same-sex intimacy means that it causes conditions where members of the LGBTQI plus community can be either targets of violence and discrimination 
from their families, their communities, and even the state, because there are non-protections that we have. When we think about equality for the LGBTQI plus community, we tend to think about it globally in the lens of marriage equality, right? Um, when we've advanced marriage equality, we've advanced rights. And I think now in the U.S., we're, we can understand that that's, we can understand more clearly now, particularly with the past four years with the rescinding of, you know, trans folks residing in the military or the wave of bathroom bills that you can still advance marriage equality and still have regressive, law, regressive laws, right? We see that in the United States. And so you take, take that concept and escalate it times 50, 1,000, and you see what the situation could be in multiple countries where there are zero protections, so not even basic human rights protections, that means that often members of the community are victims of violence. And it could take many forms. Uh, it could take the form you know, in the Caribbean, uh, individuals being subject to mob violence from their community members who out them. Uh, or in, you know, Indonesia, where individuals have been caned in public with hundreds of people recording. Uh, or it could take the form of police uh, entrapping uh, gay and bisexual men on apps like Grindr uh, or dating apps that people meet up with. Or in the instance of Chechnya, uh, a state-sponsored campaign to abduct, uh, torture, and out uh, hundreds of members of the community. And it's because there's no legal protections where these folks exist. And when I say people are displaced within their country, what that means the moment you get outed in, a, in one of those countries, very often you lose basic protections that, that you need in order to function uh, in the society, like employment, like community, like basic legal protections. It's the outing that is sometimes the most dangerous. So that's the situation in many countries. When I said earlier that it's this intersects with the situation of migration, uh, when you're dealing with so many refugees and displaced people, you have to look at how this impacts members of our community. In order to become a refugee, you have to cross a land border or some, very often by boat. You have to leave your country and flee to another country and register for the United Nations, and then wait for a country to resell you. Because of the scope of the crisis, so many people are stuck waiting and have very little options for resettlement. For members of the LGBTQI plus community, even trying to make that land crossing is really dangerous. Because in many African countries, for example, you're asking people to flee one country that criminalizes same-sex intimacy to another. So many Ugandan refugees, for example, flee to Kenya, which also criminalizes same-sex intimacy. And so the conditions as a refugee are also very homophobic, transphobic, biphobic. And that is the picture that many people who reach out to us face.
I mean, honestly, it's, it's challenging to hear because it's really heartbreaking because it's this deep problem where we know that refugees are already facing difficult challenges. And then when you compound on top of that homophobia and, you know, countries that are not going to natural, like they, they don't want to show support to refugees and then they're not going to want to show support to LGBTQ refugees. We see that there's a deep problem here. And just because of people's identities and who they love, they're at deeper risk in their home countries. You mentioned that, uh, you know, we saw you know, a shrinkage from 70 countries to 69. Do you see a little bit of hope in that number going from 69 to 68 and and so on, like decreasing? Or are there some parts of the world where it's becoming more dangerous for LGBTQ folks and you expect to see that that number of countries uh, that are, you know, dangerous increasing? I do believe that we are on the right side of history. You know, there's a famous saying that the the moral arc of history bends towards justice. You know, I am honored uh, and really, like, privileged to work alongside human rights defenders in these countries. I often tell my, my team of colleagues of volunteers that we are we are merely facilitators of an individual's journey and and that journey uh, to freedom is really supported by brave human rights defenders who are still advancing lgbtqi rights in their countries including the decriminalization of these laws i don't want to get on a tangent here but it's a really important that people listening if they didn't already know Two things that are important. One is that these laws are are rooted in colonization. Um, so many of these laws on the books are imported from imperialist sodomy laws that were adopted into these countries by the Brits, and et cetera. That's important. Um, famously, Theresa May, who at the time was the prime minister of the of UK, made an apology about the adverse effects of colonization on the LGBTQI community in many of these countries. That's the first thing. Um, The second thing is that there's still a campaign by right-wing evangelicals in the global North, in the United States, to uh, import homophobia into these countries. You saw it famously in Uganda with Scott Lively. I was actually in Uganda the week that that law passed, and it was really heartbreaking to see. And I come from a Christian faith background. Uh, That's kind of the faith tradition that I grew up in. And so I've definitely seen that process. And and unfortunately, I've also seen, you know, a, a number of, you know, my evangelical friends who are, you know, stepping up to be a part of the solution, recognizing that horrible part of you know the history and the culture, but you're absolutely right. Like this, this is something that is being exported intentionally, so by particular groups, uh, and specifically, you know, conservative Western groups. hundred percent. Now, to answer your question, will things get better? I believe things will get better. I think, and what we're seeing is that uh, regressive governments are real. Uh, they there there's backlash before there's progress. Again, we saw it. We saw it just recently. Um, we, uh, without speaking specifically about the Trump administration, we just know it's 
fact that there were laws in place that made it harder for migrants to enter the country, we, that made it harder for to be a member of the LGBTQ community. And that pendulum can swing in many countries. But I, I still I still give out hope because I have hope and such admiration for human rights defenders that have pound the pavement in changing these laws. It's a long journey. Uh, I, my form, the former organization I worked for, the HIV Legal Network, uh, they have uh, Maurice Tomlinson, who's uh, someone who I admire. He's been challenging Jamaica's sodomy laws for almost 10 years. Uh, it's a long process. We are going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more of this conversation with Kamali Powell of Rainbow Railroad. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Sounds Good is sponsored by Libro FM. Libro FM, and if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, you already know this. They're the company that lets you support a local bookstore every time you download an audiobook. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but they are almost identical to the major audiobook company that you hear advertised in other podcasts. It's the same price. They have the same books. The app is amazing. The only real difference, in my opinion, is that... (laughs) One supports a giant mega corporation, and the other supports a local bookstore of your choosing. You get to keep money within your local economy, you create local jobs, and you make a difference in your community. If you are using that giant audiobook company, you should make the switch to Libro FM. And if you are not yet, but you're like, oh my goodness, I want to start listening to audiobooks and support my local bookstores in the process, well, the good news is that there is a special offer for Sounds Good listeners. Libro FM is offering two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership when you use the code GOOD. All you have to do is visit the website Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use the promo code GOOD to get started with two audiobooks to make a difference in your local community and to help support this show. Sounds Good is sponsored by BetterHelp. Right now, I think we all know this, we are going through a collective global trauma. If you've been struggling with your mental health, that is so normal. So many people are experiencing that same thing. And on top of the collective global trauma that we're experiencing, we're all working through interpersonal relationships and life struggles. You probably need someone to talk to. I know that I do. BetterHelp is an amazing solution for this. BetterHelp makes it easy to get matched with your own licensed professional therapist. Plus, it's affordable. All you have to do is answer a few questions and they'll get you matched and ready to start in under 48 hours. I've been using BetterHelp for a while now. It started in the beginning of the pandemic where I just wanted to be able to talk to somebody. And so I would take 
video calls or like voice calls from my neighborhood. I would walk around my neighborhood and I would talk with a therapist and it was so helpful for me. And now I'm fully vaccinated. I am ready to go back out into the world. And it's so nice to not be tethered to my hometown if I want to talk to my therapist. I can hop on a call when I'm traveling. I can hop on a call when I'm busy. And it just gives me great access to my amazing therapist whenever I want. BetterHelp is offering a special offer for Sounds Good listeners where you can get 10% off your first month when you take the quiz to get started at betterhelp.com slash good. That's betterhelp.com slash good. One more time, that is betterhelp.com slash good. You brought up this quote, you know, that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. And I love the addendum that is sometimes added to it, which is that, but we have to be the ones to bend it. We can't just expect that to happen. It's just that there is a community of people who care about this and that number grows every day and we get to play a role in this. And so actually this is a perfect transition to talking about solutions because Rainbow Railroad came along and saw these systemic problems, these problems that individuals are facing around the world and decided to step up. What is the origin story and and you know, I know that no organization starts big. You know, what was the first the first solution that y'all came up with? And I, I, it sounds like it may it may have come before you, but what's the Rainbow Railroad origin story? I've been proud to be a witness to the origin story. You know, we are we're an international organization uh, that was founded in Toronto, Canada, but now is is Canadian and U.S. based that came into focus with the solution to try to change the situation. Uh, and I think it stems from a couple of things. I mentioned uh, that brave human rights defenders were doing the work. It was a group of, a small group of people meeting human rights defenders overseas who uh, were displaced uh, that sparked the idea of, of trying to make a difference. At the time, Canada had just, uh, past marriage equality uh, for Canada. It was a little bit earlier than the U S uh, quite a bit earlier, actually. And it was clear that there needed to be more solutions to help people at risk. And so a group of Canadians got together with uh, human rights defenders in the Caribbean, Jamaica to start. And one person at a time really would, you know, found a individual who was displaced facing violence uh, and cobbled the funds together to try to allow them to make a safe asylum claim in a Western country. Uh, And that work was volunteer for many years. Uh, We started in 2006 and just like one person at a time. And how much does it cost for one person to, to help rescue them from their country and to go through the legal process of claiming asylum, et cetera? I'm going to not use the word rescue because okay, I think, good. you know, the individual ultimately rescues themselves. We help facilitate someone's own journey. It's a good distinction. And it varies, to be honest, you know, not to put a hard number on it, but, you know, we, we in the past that it costs on average about $10,000 to help one particular case. 
like the first and foremost, our goal is to help keep someone safe within country within the country. So that means access to a safe house or remove or moving them to a safer place within the country or providing them access to resources or connecting them with an organization, anything to get them out of a dangerous situation. And for cases that require emergency relocation, uh, of course, that means providing the costs of getting them from uh, to a country where they can make a safe asylum claim. Uh, so that's where the majority of the costs go towards. You know, we did that work ad hoc until 2014, 2013, 2014, where we decided, you know, we did that work and realized that there were a lot of people who needed help. And that's what caused us to really scale up our operations. And, and, and by the time I came on board, I was staff of one, uh, <laughs> but really uh, made it my objective to scale up the, the organization dramatically so that we can respond to this rising need. And we've done that since. We've, we've now helped over a thousand people relocate. Wow. To multiple countries in Europe, the United States and Canada. Uh, but we've also provided support now to hundreds of more people within country as well. So what we've been able to demonstrate is that civil society has a role to play in providing new solutions. And what I think I love most about Rainbow Railroad is that uh, we've, we really have been a queer-led response to a problem. The, our population is members of the LGBT, LGBTQI community, but also like with the, going full circle in the HIV pandemic, we as an LGBTQI plus led organization, us understanding the problem and us understanding the systemic barriers to migration and discrimination have allowed us to be really innovative in solutions that can help beyond the LGBTQI plus community. And so what's exciting for where I see Rainbow Railroad is that we have stepped up and uh, done, uh, I think, a real service for our queer community. But the we've also shown that we can change the whole refugee system by allowing civil society to play a role in providing solutions. That's amazing. I, I love that by focusing on, you know, this specific goal, you've also been able to achieve other goals outside of that. And I would love to zoom in on one story in particular, just because I think that sometimes it's helpful to hear, to be able to put a, a face to the work that's being done. Would you be able to tell the story of one person in particular in the process in which you you know, partnered to help get them out of a dangerous situation and into a much safer situation uh, so that we can kind of close on a hopeful story note. <laughs> yeah, I'll say two hopeful things. April 1st, 2021 marked four years since the New York Times ran an article from Novoletta Gazeta, which was a Russian paper that which first told the tales of what was happening in Chechnya Republic outside of Russia. And what was happening was that the government was actively persecuting the LGBT community and specifically the police were really like jailing people, torturing people, et cetera. Is that correct? 
That's correct. And and I'll tell you, if you told me four years ago that that an Oscar nominated director would chronicle the work in Welcome to Chechnya, which is a film I recommend folks viewing, uh, and that our organization will be plucked out of obscurity to our role. I would say I would have believed you. <laughs> um, and, you know, when I heard about what was happening, our organization was still, we were not a young organization, but we were, we were definitely still growing. Uh, and we had to really adapt our work to respond. But what was remarkable about that situation were, one was with the speed by which international solidarity led our organization to the Russian LGBT network. You know, and when I say real solidarity, we were able to connect with Human Rights Watch, who was doing documentation on the ground, Novoleta Gazeta, which was a Russian-based newspaper doing documentation, the International Lesbian Gay Trans Association, ILGA, who was finding out information. And all of a sudden, I was able to find out that this brave organization in Russia was helping provide an a evacuation system out of Chechnya to safe houses in Russia. Uh, and a month later, I was there uh, interviewing about, I think I interviewed 15 people over two days under the cloak and dagger of being in uh, Russia, in Russian cities as a, as a gay black man <laughs> trolling around the country with a Russian interpreter. Wow. All the interviews were compelling. But my last interview ended up being with the second person, there have been two people who've publicly revealed themselves in the wake of Chechnya, one who was depicted in the film, uh, Welcome to Chechnya, and the other a young person named Amin, who didn't speak any English and was really terrified. But I was also just able to, at the end of that last tired interview, see their humanity and their bravery in the face of this. You know, I was, I was a Canadian going into the country feeling pretty confident that with my passport, I would be able to make it out and be fine, where these people had made an incredible journey, having been tortured, outed to their families, and literally threatened death. Like, it was escape or face death. And their resilience. And I'm so proud of Amin being who came out of that, along with hundreds of LGBTQI folks that we were able to help get out of Chechnya to multiple countries in partnership with the Russian LGBT network. What's truly remarkable, what I'm really, truly proud of with that story is that while I was making that trip, people were doing online fundraisers. I think one Facebook fundraiser raised $250,000 that were able to build safe houses in the the safe houses. Um, People were doing bake sales, drag shows, you name it. Uh, Rainbow Railroad at this moment is 100% funded by private sources which meant we really are a community movement. So it it shows you just how many people rallying together can help one person. And that's what I'm most proud of with the organization. That's Kamali Powell, Executive Director of Rainbow Railroad. You can learn more and donate to Rainbow Railroad's work by visiting their website, rainbowrailroad.org. Make sure to follow at Rainbow Railroad on Instagram to stay up to date with their work too. 
We also ran a version of this story in the brand new, I think we just launched it like this weekend, Pride edition of the Good News Paper. Sign up to become a Good 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 member and you'll get a new issue of the Good News Paper every single month. Just visit goodgoodgood.co slash membership to join. This podcast was created by Good Good Good. At Good Good Good, we help you feel more hopeful and do more good. You can find more good news and ways to make a difference in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print newspaper, or online at goodgoodgood.co. This episode was created by Kaylee Thompson, Megan Burns, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. And you can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. Make sure that you hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts so that you can get new episodes of Sounds Good delivered to your phone each Monday while you sleep. If you have a favorite episode of the show, share it on your Instagram stories to share the word about celebrating good news and taking good action. And that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and find one way to support the LGBTQ plus community. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good? Sound good?